Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be talking about Ascended Masters. My guest is my friend R.J. Spina, the author of Supercharged Self-Healing, a revolutionary guide to access high-frequency states of consciousness that rejuvenate and repair. Many viewers will remember that R.J. is the man who healed himself after having received a diagnosis of permanent paraplegia, as well as a number of other serious conditions, diabetes, pancreatitis, Hashimoto's autoimmune disease, hypothyroidism, and others. And I'm going to encourage you to take a look at the upper right-hand corner of your screen, unless you have an iPhone or tablet, it may not work for you then. I'm linking to the video in which RJ documents, it's a three-minute video, uh, the wonderful healing that he experienced himself. RJ is a person of gifted, intuitive abilities. We'll be talking about ascended masters from an intuitive perspective. He lives in San Diego, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, RJ. It's great to see you again. Likewise. It's always nice to see you, Jeff. We'll be talking about ascended masters, and I know in the esoteric literature, there is a vast literature actually on this subject, and it's even controversial as a student of history, of esoteric history. Many people would trace it back to Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophists, and as I recall, the controversy there is that she claimed that these ascended masters that she was working with were actually embodied physical beings who would communicate with her telepathically and would sometimes even, I think, materialize in front of her, whereas later uh, channelers, if, if you will, like Alice Bailey, for example, claimed, well, it's all telepathic. They're not on the physical plane. They are on higher planes of existence. Now, I, I know in your case, we're going to be talking about your own direct intuitive perceptions. So, well, it may have nothing to do with any, any of the historical disputes. I feel that both of those statements by both, uh... Madame Blavatsky and um, Alice Bailey are, are accurate because I actually think it's, it's both in that uh, ascended masters are real. And when I say real, I mean that they, uh, they have physical incarnations. They have lifetimes. Um, they appear when needed and it's very cyclical. And I'm going to get into that in a second. Uh, most of the time, uh, they are not necessarily <clears throat> embodied or incarnate, as we would say. And the reason for that is because my, my understanding is that ascended masters are outside of the evolutionary cycle. So everything here, everyone, everyone here and everything here is part of God, uh, creator, source, whatever word you want to use. And we are an expression of it, a fractal of it, uh, a creation of it. Okay. Now, we could also look at that as consciousness. And so it's the temporary individualization of consciousness is what a soul or an aspect is. And so all of those temporary individualized units of sentience or consciousness are evolving in their own way and in their own time. And they are within an evolutionary cycle. So as an example playing cards, a ridiculous example, but if you're playing cards with someone and you kind of deal everybody in, right? So all the players are going to be involved in it until you go through every card in the deck, okay? So everyone here is participating in the evolutionary cycle. Once you're in, you're in, okay? Where the Ascended Masters, Jeff, from my understanding, where that it's different for them, they were never part, believe it or not, of the evolutionary cycle. 
So they are inserted into the deck like wild cards. And so they kind of change everything. And we can look at Ascended Masters, and I'm going to get to their origination uh, later on as we keep talking. We can look at an Ascended Master uh, as the true teachers of humanity, when embodied and even when not embodied, because they keep working with the lower frequencies through channels, channelers, through mediums, and they keep emitting so much wisdom and love that it even affects this realm, even if they're not embodied. But they're inserted, Jeff, like literally like wild cards into a deck. They're inserted to help uh, the progress of the evolutionary cycle and the evolution of consciousness itself. They are, in, in many ways, uh, they were created as you see them. So, so in other words, they're already a finished product. As a way to look at it, again, I'm going yeah, to use a whole bunch of analogies. They're kind of finished. They were created from the get-go as sort of um, they're done. They're not really working on themselves in the way that you and I would be working on ourselves that are within the evolutionary cycle. They're not really doing that. They're a completed, finished product that gets inserted, incarnation, to help with the uh, evolutionary process and to help with the the cycle of evolution that we're that we're currently experiencing. Well, in Buddhism, for example, you have the notion of the bodhisattva, which, uh, to my understanding, and I imagine uh, a Buddhist scholar might differ with me about this, but these are human beings who have practiced the traditional Buddhist practices to the point where they could leave this plane completely and enter fully into nirvana, but they choose to stay here. So they're very human. They're not uh, from some other realm inserted into the deck. So I guess what you're saying is bodhisattvas, at least as I've described them, and I think there are other descriptions, that wouldn't be what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Jeff. So this would be a, a soul that, you know, through its own experiences has accrued uh, enough what we would call or what I would call love and wisdom, which is really sentience and our talents and abilities are subsets of the sentience through the evolutionary cycle, through the work that they do here and elsewhere. They have reached a level where there's nothing really here for them in order for their evolution to continue. That's kind of like once you graduate high school, you, you, you graduate high school, you don't have to come back and take 10th grade math. You wouldn't learn anything. So as an analogy, so bodhisattvas are not ascended masters. They're obviously highly advanced beings. They're obviously filled with love and wisdom because they do halt their um, reconnection, direct reconnection, we could say, with God or with source or the quantum field, however you want to say that. They do. They actually, they actually stop that, which is quite amazing, isn't it? They actually stop that in order to continue to be of service. Uh, for all of us that are that are struggling down here, uh, the real the real difference, Jeff, with the ascended master and a bodhisattva, and this this will be incredibly controversial. That's okay. That's what I experienced directly. So uh, ascended masters, as we said, are already a finished product. They actually never had to work on themselves. Okay, they were literally created differently. They were created done. Now, where it gets really interesting from my direct experience is that. Ascended masters are actually not only from this God, but they are actually part of and projections of the other gods or the Elohim. And so this is where we get the ascended masters. You could think of them in a way as the children of the other gods, of the Elohim. And they represent a slice or an aspect of the totality of everything. And they're also highly unique, unusual, with tremendous abilities, tremendous wisdom, tremendous power, tremendous love, aspects of authentic self-mastery, the things that they can do with themselves. And they simply represent what is actually not here, which I know sounds odd, and the idea that something is lacking here. It's not that it's lacking. It's that it's, it's an embodiment of a greater totality that exists within the, the Elohim and then the absolute or the all there is that created all of the Elohim. And the Elohim are obviously 
I've referenced a whole bunch, Jeff, in many texts, including the Bible. The Elohim are the other gods, and the ascended masters are kind of like their their uh, they're all stars. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to say it. A finished product that these other Elohim offer up into this realm to assist our God with its creation and to help with the evolutionary cycle. And the ascended masters are the true teachers of humanity, and everything about them is different. They sound different. They look the same because they're wearing a suit just like the rest of us. But they don't act. Excuse me. They don't act the same. They don't behave the same. They don't understand things in the same way. They have tremendous abilities. They're almost like uh, they stand out when you actually interact with one because it's like staring at a, an exotic flower or an exotic fruit. They're a bit mesmerizing and they're a bit different. And they're simply here to, to help, to teach, to guide. And they are totally, totally unique. And... In your experience, when you say uh, they wear a suit just like everyone else, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that you've you've encountered them in the physical. I, I have. I have encountered them in the physical. Um, in terms of uh, encountering them in the physical, they would quote unquote look like everyone else because they're going to be wearing a human suit. But that's where the similarities end. Everything else about them is just just sort of extraordinary. They are highly, highly, highly sentient, uh, tons of wisdom. The love that emanates from them is, is otherworldly, and they often carry uh, incredible talents and abilities with them. They're able to access information that the rest of us just, just can't access because their, their sentience is literally different. It's a different quality of sentience. What's inside them is literally a different quality. The strength of will that these, these beings have, it's unbreakable. The love that they have is endless. The wisdom that they have is otherworldly. And they do keep reappearing, contrary to maybe what some, what I would call spiritual fiction. These ascended masters do keep incarnating, but they, they do do it in almost like teams in that based upon where consciousness is at, where it is in the evolutionary cycle, certain ascended masters will be the exact right ingredient for the stew. It'll be just what the collective consciousness needs in order to take itself to the next level. So they will be an embodiment of exactly that, that missing ingredient that allows humanity to ascend and move up to its next level of its own evolution. Now, I am aware of an old book written by you know, a woman named Sandra Ray, and she talks about such an ascended master known as Babaji, who su supposedly was also written about by Yogananda in his book, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, an individual supposedly who's been alive in the physical for a couple thousand years. And she claims in her book that this same Babaji would materialize in her bedroom and uh, talk to her. Uh, so that was this, the circumstance of her encountering this being in the physical, and perhaps she also encountered him uh, in other places, maybe for all I recall, in an ashram in India or something of the sort. But uh, what can you describe the circumstances in which you experienced a physical encounter with such a being? Yeah, so one is very similar to that. Uh, Mahavatar Babaji, the, the being that you're uh, referring to, it, it is my understanding that he is the teacher of teachers in the sense that even ascended masters study with Mahavatar Babaji. It is my direct experience that he is the most evolved temporary individualization or unit of consciousness that has, that has ever walked the earth. Um, every ascended master actually trains, trains with Babaji. And dare I say these, these huge uh, gap within uh, Jesus Christ's, life that is completely unaccounted for. I will offer up that it is my experience that he left and went to India and studied with Mahavatar Babaji, became self-realized, tapped into his, his true level of self-mastery, purified himself, and came back uh, christened or christened, fully enlightened, fully, fully realized. And it was through his 
direct work and direct teachings with the great Mahavatar Babaji that he was then able to realize his true potential and do the work that he needed to do. So Mahavatar Babaji is absolutely real. He can materialize and dematerialize at will. He operates, which sounds amazing, but he operates in a way that's even past an ascended master, although Babaji is an ascended master, but he's, he's so far beyond even where the, ascend, the other ascended masters operate, which is sort of unfathomable, but it's, but it's true. The, the being that was known as Christ, the being that was known as uh, Buddha, the being that was known as Yogananda, the being that was known as St. Germain, uh, I can tell you they have all studied with uh, Mahavatar Babaji. And there is, there is a uniqueness to every single one of them, uh, but what is similar with every single one of them is their direct connection with divinity, their direct connection with source, and the overwhelming love and wisdom and compassion and power that they have, that they give freely. Now, there are many gurus uh, these days. Uh, one that comes to mind who is often praised by people I know would be Ramana Maharshi, uh, an individual who is regarded by many as, as a God-realized teacher, and he has had students, and, and they have had students. I've interviewed some people. It seems as if there's a, an authentic lineage there. How would you distinguish, or, or would you distinguish such, let's call him an enlightened guru, from an ascended master? The original, or old, or I say old school, ascended masters, uh, there's 13 of them, okay? And like I said, those are, you could think of them as the children of all the other gods, okay? Now, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ascended masters, Okay, uh, most of those, there are many that have realized themselves and become enlightened and become an actual master that are not from the other gods. Okay, my understanding is that Ramana is, is from this god and is an absolutely enlightened, self-realized being. And I would actually even uh, say that he operates like a saint uh, as well as being fully enlightened uh, and so he is an ascended master, but his vibration and his energy is similar to that of our source or our God. And when one in interacts with an ascended master, an old school ascended master, there is a different, a different quality to their vibration. Their energetic signature is, is different. And you can, believe it or not, you can actually recognize that and be able to feel that. So there's, there's 13 original Ascended masters from one from every single God, including one directly from the absolute or the all there is. And from my direct understanding, that's Paramahansa Yogananda is directly what we would call Om. He is directly from the source of all existence. Uh, the the other ascended old school ascended masters are from the other Elohim, the other gods, and. There, like I said, there's dozens of actual ascended masters that are that are from our source, our God. And Ramana would be one of them. Now, when you use the word Elohim, uh, as I would understand it, it, it's sometimes translated as the heavenly host. You've also used the number, I think, 13. Are you saying that the, the Elohim, as you understand it, have, have a limited number? They're not infinite. Yeah, there's 12. So, to, from my understanding of direct intelligent interaction with, with, with these entities is that uh, there's 12, uh, just like there are, believe it or not, there are 12 gods. I know for some people this is just, just highly bizarre, so it's what I experienced. And what, other Hindu, what some Hindu masters have also experienced is that they've experienced the absolute and the all there is, and there's a reason why the Elohim are written about because other people have rec other souls have recognized them as well. So there's there's twelve. My understanding is that there's twelve, and then there's the one being the absolute or the all there is that created those twelve. So you have one direct old school ascended master from every single god, and then you have the one that was directly offered up from the absolute or the all there is, and that's the being that had one incarnate among others but had one incarnation that we know recently as Paramahansa Yogananda. 
So the, the implications of what you're saying, given that if, if one looks at world mythology, there are thousands of deities uh, or devas. It sounds like you're suggesting that there are 12 or 13 actual gods and that the others are misidentifications or different names for the same deities or projections, psychological projections. Lots of those beings exist and are real. Uh, if we're going to put a hierarchy to it, which I'm not really a fan of, but from a human, a human perspective, the ascended masters would be operating at the highest levels uh, that, that you could possibly operate. There are many, many beings that are highly, highly advanced that have probably been classified as divas or deities uh, that are not actual or authentic ascended masters. They're just extremely evolved and extremely powerful beings. And there's, there's an endless, really, amount of them. Uh, but if we had to put a hierarchy to it, uh, the ascended masters would be the true, the true teachers of humanity. Uh, they are offered in a way to assist. Now, there, well, let's add to this for one moment, Jeff. Every single one of these gods or Elohim, they have all created an environment just like our God has created the multiversal structure. And then there's the creations within the creations within the creations. It's my experience that these other gods, the Elohim, have, have also created environments for them to learn so they can so they can create and understand about themselves all at the behest of the absolute to understand the absolute so they've also created environments now some of these elohim or these other gods the environments that they created jeff this is where it gets even more interesting is that my experience is some of those environments of some of those other elohim there were, there was nothing that was ever created that was low frequency so where you and I are right now is, is low frequency. It's the lowest of the low. We call it the third dimension, but physical reality is one dimension. It's the lowest dimension, and we're in the bottom three frequencies that band together to give us height, weight, and width. Okay, so this is a specific environment that you and I are experiencing. These other Elohim-created environments, Jeff, all of it was supremely high frequency. There is nothing that they created that is anything like this. And this helps us, in a way, understand the supremely high frequency of what, of what they have offered up, which is the Ascended Masters. I, I can tell you directly that the, the Elohim, that the, the being known as Buddha, uh, who is also Thoth, uh, who is also Hermes, uh, that God, or Elohim, is such high frequency and created nothing, and hence look at the wisdom and power of this being, right? The, the being uh, known as St. Germain, who's also been Merlin, Moses, uh, Joseph, uh, the father of Christ, Francis Bacon, uh, and many, I could go on and on, and, ma and many others, uh, Plato. Uh, that Elohim that created an environment and created and offered up that being also did not create any low frequency environment. And so the beings that get projected from that are just supreme wisdom supreme knowledge, incredible abilities. And you can see that in the lifetimes of these Ascended Masters. I've done a number of interviews with people who talk about the simulation hypothesis. And, and their thinking is that what we are experiencing is akin to a video game of many different levels. And it's from what you're describing, it sounds like, yeah, we'll graduate from this physical plane and then we'll be in another simulated reality created by a, another deity. It'll have different challenges than we have here in this three-dimensional world where right now some people might say we're on the brink of World War III. A, a, a war is going on. That's a great challenge for human evolution. But in these other levels, there'll be challenges of a different nature. Is, is there anything about what you're describing to me that would differ from some sort of multi-level video game? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oddly enough, I, I think it's a great analogy, and it's an analogy, obviously, but I, I think it's very fitting. Um, one way I like to describe you know, the, the reality that you and I are experiencing, Jeff, the lower frequencies of the first dimension, which we call the physical universe, it's, it's a bit like being underwater. 
in the sense that you have to wear a suit to experience it, like a, like a diving suit or a diving bell, right? Uh, our functionality and our mobility um, is very limited, right? We're very limited because the energies and the frequencies are so dense. And then therefore we have a very dense suit that is attuned to and part of those low frequencies. But now if anyone who's been like deep underwater can't see very well, can't move very well, limited mobility, limited functionality, and then you go up on land, oh, you feel so much better, right? You feel lighter, you can see better, you can hear better, you can move around better. Functionality and mobility is greatly increased. This is kind of what it's like in terms of these video games levels and in terms of ascension, in terms of moving outside of the physical universe. You go into a much more holistic environment. You feel more and more like yourself because you're getting closer and closer to where you actually come from. But absolutely right, there'll be there's other challenges, uh, another board of the video game that we will experience, but it, it will just be different. Um, just like the difference between being underwater and being on land. Uh, one of the main differences that we're going to experience when, when we start to move into the, into the fourth frequency and really into the fifth, from my experience, into the fifth frequency, is that at that, at that level, the environment is so holistic and, and, and so inclusive that beings, we'll say people, but it, beings can no longer hide their intention. It becomes quite obvious. Now, where we are now, unfortunately, that's not the case. Okay? We, we, don't, we can't decode intention with physical senses and intellect. Right? Uh, soda sometimes looks nice, all sparkly, and tastes good. Right? It's poison. It's terrible for you, right? Okay. So you can't get that in terms of intention of what's even behind that, all the chemicals that are in it. So, But as you move up, intention is given away instantly. So if we just think of that, how different the challenges and the game will be when you can't hide your intention. So it is. It's different. It's, it, it's like a video game. It's a good analogy, and we will just keep moving up and up and up. And as you move up and up and up, just like a video game, your avatar gets more powerful and better and better and better, right, when we play a video game. The same thing is going to happen to us as an analogy. Well, let's talk about the Ascended Masters. You said you would address the question of where they come from uh, a little bit more about why they're here, what they're up to. Yes. So the Ascended Masters come from the Elohim. They come from different gods, which is why they're so unique. They're so different. Everything about them, they do, they do extraordinary things because they were created as a completely finished product. And they are the teachers of humanity, and they are something to aspire to. And their role is to simply to help our God with its creation, which is humanity uh, the evolution of consciousness, as well as the multiverse. An ascended master means just that. They have ascended and gone through every possible frequency, every possible reality, every possible dimension, and they have realized themselves in all of them. And so they have ascended the need to incarnate. Now, what's interesting, from my perspective, what's interesting about the ascended masters, Jeff, they never needed to incarnate. They, were, they have decided to go along with them being donated <laughs> to help uh, the collective consciousness move forward. They were already created well beyond the need to experience the low frequencies. There's really nothing here that they need to learn for their own evolution. In other words, they're already beyond it. They're already past it. It's like already being a PhD before, before uh, you don't need to go to second grade. You're already a PhD. Right. So uh, as an analogy, so these beings are from other gods. They are a com they are a complete product. And another interesting, interesting thing about them, but from my perspective, it's interesting. They're no longer um, accruing sentience. They give it away. So they, they, they are no longer taking in the evolutionary content. So in other words, becoming wiser, becoming more loving becoming more powerful, they're already there. So what they, what they accrue in a lifetime, uh, whether human or alien, by the way, whatever they accrue in a lifetime, they actually just give it away. 
And you can see that even in a lot of their lifetimes, they, they, they just endlessly share their wisdom and their love because they're, they're not, they're not here to acquire any. So while everyone else in an evolutionary cycle, until they've reached a certain level, they're, they're actually here to accrue or have their, their love and wisdom deepen is maybe a better way to say that, but they're, they don't need to do that. So they literally give their wisdom and love away. Now, with regard to your own experience of these Ascended Masters, since you're speaking in such a knowledgeable way about them, it leaves me with the impression that you've had many, many encounters. Uh, yeah, yeah, not, not, not just as RJ. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm well aware of, uh, many, of many of my lifetimes, um, and I have encountered many, many of these type of beings. Uh, I have en encountered two. Uh, I, I would say classically I encountered one of the old school ascended masters and one of one that I would not classify as an old school ascended master just just in this lifetime. And uh, in terms of materialization and dematerialization, I've also I've also encountered uh, Mahavatar Babaji in terms of materializing and dematerializing, but embodied two. One would be an old school ascended master, and one would be, as I said, one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of beings that have realized himself and become a master, but is from this God, technically. There's an uh, interesting book written by uh, Shafia Karagula called Breakthrough to Creativity, as I recall. And she describes, uh, she was a psychiatrist, uh, and actually the aunt of uh, George Norrie, the famous radio host. And uh, she describes uh, one of her patients came to her with dreams. And every night in the dream, this patient, I think her name was Violet, uh, would be in a classroom. And she would be learning uh, the very sorts of things you're talking about night after night in the classroom. And on one occasion, she recognized uh, a person she knew in the same classroom, a person who lived across the country. And, and so she reached out to that person and uh, contacted them and learned they were having the same dream. Is your experience like that? When we're, dis when we're disincarnate, uh, which is our natural state, when we're disincarnate, um, what I have actually been able to witness souls souls doing is they will peruse the akashic records which is the, the entire history of humanity and by the way there's an entire history of every alien entire history of every animal the akashic records exist for everything whether people know that or not it's not just for humanity so which also tells you that everything has begun and ended it's also interesting right okay but the point is is that i know of souls that are very interested let's say in working with uh the ascended master known as known as Christ, right? So when they're disincarnate, Jeff, they will. It's almost like uh, renting ten movies. They will access the Akashic records because you can when you're disincarnate, and they will literally watch Christ's life from beginning to end. It's almost like they're there with him, so, so to speak. It's almost interactive, and. And so that way they can be around it, they can learn, they can see the teachings, it's, they can, it's, it's like them literally living a lifetime with Christ. And then they'll come back in terms of their next incarnation. And, uh, and I know this because I know someone who actually who did this because I looked into it. So, and she kept saying, she's like, RJ, I, I, I'm telling you, I feel like I know Christ. I feel like I was there with him. I, I feel like I, I, was, I was part of that lifetime. So I looked into it and I explained to her, you were part of that lifetime, just not in the way that you think you were that you were able to experience the whole thing. And we all, we all have access to this kind of stuff when we're not incarnate. It's rare, incredibly rare, that we have uh, access to this when we are incarnate. But I would just say that's something to strive for. Well, I have, for example, interviewed uh, my good friend, Dr. Norman Shealy, who tells me that he has past life memories of having been one of the companions of St. Francis and, and that he uh, has actually met the individual who uh, in a past lifetime was St. Francis. And, and the two of them traveled together, as I recall, to uh, 
if it wasn't to Italy, yeah, to to the town of uh, I forget which town it would have been that Francis came from. It would have been maybe to Israel together. They they took a journey together to a sacred place where these memories of the past lives that they shared together were revivified for 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 them. Now, would you say Saint Francis was a um, well, let me put, put the question a little differently. Is there a distinction between a saint and an ascended master? Can be. They can also be the. They can also be one and the same. Uh, ascended master for me, the old. I keep saying old school or original ascended masters. For me, it's that completely different vibrational signature that come from the different gods. And as we said before, there are men, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ascended masters, but they're really. From my direct uh, understanding, there's 13 old school, old school ascended masters, and those are the ones that are the children of the of the Elohim. Most most of us that are here, Jeff, through the thousands and thousands and thousands of lifetimes that we do have, we have all interacted and known an incarnation of an ascended master. It's actually not unusual. They keep insert. they like I said, they're kind of like the wild cards inserted into the deck. They keep coming back. I know it's much more acceptable that we could be channeling one of these beings. That's an, that's an accepted belief system. But I think what's interesting is what's not an accepted belief system is that they keep showing up over and over and over again. And they do because the work's never done. And I, I promise you, they feel like they can never do enough. So they, they just keep coming back over and over again. We have all known ascended masters. We have all worked with ascended masters and we'll continue to know ascended masters and all of us will become ascended masters. We will actually have the conscious experience of that actually occurring. All of us, they're just simply here to show us how to do it, to embody it, to be it, to represent it, to, to, to be a light in an area bathed in darkness. Right? So, We've, we've, we have all known Ascended Masters. We've all worked with Ascended Masters, and we'll continue to do so as we all become an Ascended Master. Well, there's a kind of paradox in, in what you've just said, because earlier you described that these Ascended Masters were created perfect. They didn't have to evolve, but we are evolving. So, I guess we're, we'll become the new school ascended masters. We can't ever become the, the old school ascended masters, or uh, perhaps we can if one uh, is willing to accept uh, paradox. Yeah, the, the, the real classification for that is almost like my own way of classifying because of the different vibrational signature and that they came into physical incarnation already at that level. So the rest of us that are in an evolutionary cycle, we don't start off that way. So we have to do it through experience. And part of the experience is incarnation. So there's a very few beings that were created as a finished product. And that's what I call the old school ascended masters because they're needed to be inserted into the evolutionary cycle because they are literally what pulls humanity and the consciousness forward. Make no mistake about that. They're the ones that are doing it. And the bigger impact that they can have the further, the further they, they can pull us up, so to speak. But everyone is going to eventually become a master. Uh, some are doing it right now. Some have done it in other lifetimes. Um, there's just these unique beings were created in a certain way to play a certain role. Uh, but there's dozens and dozens of ascended masters. And uh, some are having this lifetime where they're reaching their, their full potential. And then they'll, they will most likely come back. They will most likely come back to help teach. And that is, I, for me, one of the things I want to make sure that everyone understands is that these beings will keep coming back and they have never abandoned you and they never will, ever. They simply do it in a cycle. They do it in a way that maybe we can't understand with our conscious mind. But know, know for a fact that they are with you, that they are a part of you. And they will never, ever abandon you. They will keep coming back until the work is done. Now, I'm sure I'm going to hear from viewers who are going to say, well, if these ascended masters love us so much and they've been around for such a long time, how come we still have all of these 
problems, the wars in particular, but all the other problems facing humanity, why don't they just uh, fix things so that we can have a blissful heavenly existence? Why is there so much suffering? Because we wouldn't learn anything if they fixed everything. That's why. And I can tell you that that conversation has taken place, for sure. There's been lots of things that have happened in this realm or on this earth that, from a human perspective, are horrifying and continue to happen right now, right? That is horrifying, right? But if someone came in or a group of beings came in and just fixed everything, what would we have learned? Well, and you're the perfect example, I think, for answering this question because you had to confront a situation where you were diagnosed with permanent paraplegia. Yeah, exactly. So if I would have just snapped my fingers or had one of these majestic beings hover over me and fix me like that, what would I have learned? Absolutely nothing. And I got to tell you something. I would have never wanted it. I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. So... No one is coming to quote unquote fix everything because we, it's all within us and consciousness have to, has to evolve. Now they are allowed to keep in cart what they can kind of do whatever they want, so to speak. They're not in the evolutionary cycle, but they can't fix everything from us because it's like giving someone all the answers to the test. It's like, what'd we learn? Right. And I know things are tumultuous here. They're, they're in a lot of ways, they're horrifying here. Don't identify with it. Okay, the analogy I like to use is that a glass of water and you have oil on the top of it, the oil stays atop the water, even though they're in the exact same glass, in the exact same environment, the oil never drops down and mixes in and gets immersed. So when we stay detached, and I think detachment is the single most important thing for any individual to learn, by the way, literally number one is detachment. To detach from what is going on to detach from your own ego mind identity and to be able to start to experience yourself. You move beyond the rational mind. The intuitive mind is now online as well as all your inherent wisdom and love. And that's the only thing that's going to fix these problems is more wisdom and more love that comes from the beings that are occupied here. It's always consciousness is the answer always. And it's always about seeing it from a more holistic and inclusive perspective. That's the only thing that can fix this. And we need to do it because we're the ones in the evolutionary cycle. This is for us. So we have to learn, just know that they're always with us. They're always guiding us. They're always providing an example, whether through a current incarnation or some of their other incarnations. And make no mistake, these beings have had many nowhere near the thousands. In fact, I could tell you that Yogananda's had 38 different incarnations. The being known as St. Germain has had 181 different incarnations. The being known as Christ has had 79 incarnations. So they don't, as I said, they're not in the evolutionary cycle. So they don't have to incarnate, have to. They do it to be of service. They do it at the right time. And if there ever was perfection, even though there isn't, if there ever was perfection, they have perfect timing. I know I'm going to hear from some viewers who are going to ask me, how do you know about the number of incarnations? Did you count them? Yeah. So, so uh, at, at, a, at a certain level of detachment and at a, at a certain level of, uh, of sentience, one can, one can detach from the body, move the sentience outside of the body, which is what I was doing as a kid. So uh, it's just natural for me. And it's natural for me to, to work uh, in a high frequency way. I, I am a high frequency being. It's natural for me to work in a high frequency way. And so it's not difficult, as strange as it sounds, it's not difficult for me to access this, this information. I'm able to, to traverse or move around these higher frequencies. I'm able to directly interact with these type of beings. And so the, the information, it's all there. Every, everything is in the quantum field, everything. And the only block to it is our own ego mind identity. That is the only block. When that's removed, you realize everything is connected. Everything is accessible. And yes, I was interested in understanding more about this because it, it, it helped me. It helped me with, with my current incarnation. It helped me understand myself. It, it helped me settle in and be able to serve in a better way as RJ. 
Well, I would think, uh, and based on our previous conversations, RJ, that when one achieves this state of attachment from the ego mind, one becomes, as we've discussed, one with everything, which would mean one with all the ascended masters, all the Elohim, and even beyond that to the absolute source of everything. Yeah, it's, there is no block uh, except the ones we create. There, there is no obstacle except what we literally create through the mind, beliefs, concepts, ideologies. It's the rational mind that stops all of this. The rational mind is low frequency. It's based upon, it's based upon thought and sensory perceived data, which is 0.003 of what's actually in the quantum field. So there's no way to experience the limitless and the, and the divine unless you're in a limitless and divine state of consciousness. So, and this is, I'm not the only one. It might be unique, some of the things I do, but I'm not the only one that accesses some of these things. Uh, it's everything is available for us. It really is. And the only thing that's blocking it is, is, is your own ego mind identity. That's it. Look at all these beings that become enlightened or self-realized or whatever word you want to use. They now access all these things. They operate completely differently. This is universal for all of us. It's universal. And if anything, use this incarnation that it's possible. I, I, I unparalyze myself. I am able to communicate in this way. So can you. Just do the work. You have to dedicate yourself. That's the other thing maybe I'd like to mention about the Ascended Masters. They are incredibly dedicated. Incredibly. There's no such thing as something too difficult for them. Because they apply themselves, whatever it takes. The will of these beings is incredible. Uh, and I'll speak specifically about one. Paramahansa Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, is an ascended master. And he was, he, he, was also, he was also Akbar the Great. He was also uh, King Arthur, that same soul. That soul's will is iron. Iron. We could all learn a great deal by connecting with the ascended master, Sri Yukteswar, known as El Moria. These beings represent, as much as possible, perfection within a certain aspect of the totality of things. You could think of Christ as purity. You could think of Sri Yukteswar as the will. You can think of Buddha as wisdom. You can think of Saint Germain is magic and alchemy. They all represent certain aspects. And the only thing that's blocking is our inability to detach and let go. Sometimes the most courageous thing that we can ever do is surrender to what we really are. We've talked quite a bit now about the tradition of ascended masters, and I know what you're saying overlaps a lot with various esoteric schools, although to my limited knowledge, you're, you're putting it together. Your, your expression of it right now is a bit unique. I don't think I've heard it uh, elsewhere. It's not coming from any one school. But I do recall from our previous conversation that you told me you spent many years in communication with a wide variety of extraterrestrial beings. And, and I wonder if you could comment before we close on the relationship between these extraterrestrials and the ascended masters. Uh, yeah, for about four or five months, Jeff, I was kind of doing that on a daily basis. Uh, for some reason, I was motivated to uh, interact with aliens. Uh, that, that passed. It lasted a few months. It was interesting, but as we talked about before, I won't, I won't rehash that. Um, aliens, embodied aliens, are uh, operating at a higher frequency than, than we are, and in that sense, they're more evolved, but these are not self-realized or ascended masters. They are, just like you and me, they're just not underwater. They might be on land, if that, if that makes sense. Um, we have mistaken a lot of, uh, we'll say, highly advanced uh, other life forms or aliens for gods. Our history is rich with that, for sure. Um, but some of these highly advanced beings have been benevolent and have tried to, we'll, we'll say, help humanity. And they have uh, manifested themselves or come here 
but it is my experience, uh, direct experience, is that these are not self-realized or enlightened beings. These are simply like you and me in a different suit, not quite underwater. They're more on land. And once you get to about... Um, once you get to about the eighth frequency, what people call the eighth dimension, I promise you it's the eighth frequency. Once you get, get to about the eighth frequency, to even exist uh, as, an, as, an in, as an incarnation within the eighth frequency, you are operating at an incredibly high level. It, it would, it's so far beyond what we can actually even fathom, the depth of understanding that one of these beings would have. So it makes perfect sense to me that if, if uh, an alien that is operating in the seventh or eighth frequency and they actually come down here, so to speak, and make themselves present, we would absolutely mistaken them for a god, and uh, it makes perfect sense why we would. I've also had the uh, pleasure of interviewing a gentleman recently who uh, calls himself a member of the traditionalist school of philosophy or spirituality uh, or the perennialist school, it's sometimes known as, the school that says that Within all of the old religions on this planet, there's an esoteric core, which is similar and uh, which represents metaphysical truth. And one of those truths, uh, and you and I have discussed it, as I recall briefly, is the idea of the demonic or the satanic. And typically, people from this school and, and other schools would say anything, any talk of ascended masters, any talk of extraterrestrial and actually what's going on is you are being deceived by demons. So uh, I guess it'd be useful for you to address that issue. How does one distinguish between a demonic, satanic entity and an ascended master? Okay. Well, uh, I mean, they uh, ascended masters are, are real and they keep incarnating and there's a few here now. Um, the, the proof is in their work, and we, we will know them by their deeds, right? These are beings that should be doing extraordinary work, whether it's in accessing information. Sometimes they do a lot of work with uh, healing, or they do a lot of work with being able to give humanity a new understanding of things, sometimes even through inventions or things like that. Uh, how that's juxtaposed to, to demons, my experience, and we did talk about this, Jeff, Viewing things as demon is viewing things from a religious perspective. So in other words, you already have the lenses on, okay? Detachment allows you to go past those things. And so you don't, you're not viewing anything through a lens already. You're actually starting to see things for what they are. And so when we call these things demons, it's just not my experience. Are there powerful entities that are very negatively oriented? Yeah, of course. Of course there are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there many powerful entities that are uh, positively oriented? Of course. Of course they are. There always has to be a balance. There always has to be a balance. My understanding is that some of these people would say, and I think you see a little bit of this in, in some of the, the great writings like John Milton's Paradise Lost, where Satan is portrayed in a heroic way and that well, well, the idea of the Antichrist, uh, very popular among Christian fundamentalists, is that the Antichrist is going to come along and he's going to be regarded as a prophet of world peace, of goodness, and of love, but actually the, his intentions will be other than that. But he will be able to fool people into thinking that he's a very positive being. And as you mentioned earlier, we live in a plane where uh, people's intentions or, or the intentions not just of people, but let us say beings uh, are not obvious. That's right, Jeff. And that's the grand test. You got it. That's the grand test. We cannot use just five physical, uh, five physical senses and the intellect. This pushes us towards our own evolution of consciousness to start to be able to use our natural intuitive abilities. It's all part of the test that makes consciousness move forward. There are plenty of people and things that are pleasing to the eye, uh, that seem like they're okay. Uh, plenty of people in power today's world that they talk a good game, but they don't have good intentions. And a lot of people are fooled by it. A lot of people are fooled by it. So 
it's part of the evolution of our consciousness to be able to decode these things. They're not decodable with the five senses or the intellect. But what we are, Jeff, is not the five senses or the intellect. That's just part of the suit. And we reduce ourselves to what I to what I call body consciousness, which is simply only relying on five senses and the intellect. This is how you get deceived. This is how you get fooled. And to take that to a real metaphysical understanding and perspective, that means that we that are getting fooled are operating in a low frequency way because we're identifying with the suit, the five physical senses and the intellect, which is only attuned to the low frequencies. So as we start to awaken ourselves through detachment, detachment from the mind-body complex, our own natural intuition, our gut, our gut feeling, however, however you want to say it, right? All of that are aspects of the self, which have nothing to do with the five physical senses or the intellect. They're supposed to feed the intellect. It's supposed to feed the intellect. The wisdom is supposed to perfume up and fill the mind with higher knowledge. That's how, that's the best way to operate. So when we start to operate on a more intuitive level, not solely intuitive, but on a more intuitive level, decoding the intention of everything and everyone will become easy. And that's why I mentioned before, Jeff, that's a great question. That's why I mentioned before, it's like, once you get to the fourth and really the fifth frequency, you can't hide intention. The, the holistic nature of everything and your own set of perception is so enhanced that if anything is coming towards you with malintent, you'll see it 10 miles away. Here, you may never see it until it's too late unless you're using your own intuitive understanding. And your intuitive wisdom and your intuitive understanding really is what you are. The intellect and the rational mind is the reduction of that. And that's what it means to operate in a, in a low-frequency way as opposed to operating in a high-frequency way. It's not to shun the intellect, not at all. But if that's the only tool that you're using, you're, you're going to be fighting with one hand behind your back. Well, RJ, once again, it's been a great pleasure to be with you. I love the conversation. It is a mind opener. Uh, I know there'll be some viewers who are going to say, how does he know all this stuff? Uh, how can we trust him? All I can say is that I feel it at a heart level. I do trust what you're saying. I do trust your experience. Uh, uh, you and I have had some previous conversations about the, the kind of resonance uh, that we've experienced uh, together. So uh, viewers are going to have to uh, look into their own hearts and make up the, their own decisions. But I'm looking forward to more conversations with you. I am too, Jeff. We have a deep connection and a deep fondness for each other. It's absolutely mutual. And just for a moment to speak to, to, to what you said, no one has to believe a word I say. In fact, I'm not into beliefs at all, right? We're here to tangibly experience these things. Now, this is what I tangibly experience. As bizarre as it is, this is what I tangibly experience. And being able to experience these things is part of why I'm able to unparalyze myself. I am operating in a very unique way. But use all this information that, that RJ gives in this incarnation uh, as a backdrop, as a context. That's all. You don't have to believe in it, but just use it as a, as a backdrop. Here's one being that is experiencing these things. Here is what he has talked about, what he has done with himself, with his own body, what he has done to help other people. Use it as a backdrop and let your own mind expand. Don't keep the fishbowl locked in. And if any of this doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. It doesn't have to doesn't have to resonate, but it is my experience and it is my direct experience. And I will continue to talk about my direct experiences because I think ultimately it's high frequency and it helps people, but you don't have to believe in it. Just like you said, Jeff, if it resonates, fantastic. If it doesn't, ignore it. Once again, RJ, thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us.